0: Looking at Micah, been looking at Micah for the last uh, couple of weeks and uh, this is the third week and we've seen that Micah is speaking to Samaria and to Jerusalem, the capital cities uh, of, of that time of Israel and Judah and their representatives of the nations. He's speaking around about uh, the 8th century BC. He's a contemporary with other famous prophets like Isaiah and Amos and Hosea. Um, he's talking to the people and basically he's saying, you've sold your souls. Justice is for sale. Truth uh, depends on what you can afford. Spirituality is determined by your ability to pay. Uh, He's saying that leaders were using their power, abusing their power and privilege to take advantage of the poor and God is not happy. He looks out on, on his people of Israel and Judah and he says, I'm not happy with this. This is bad news. There has to be some adjustments. And so he raises up a prophet by the name of Micah, along with these others, uh, to, um, uh, to, to come and to, uh, to speak to his people. He raises him up from a, a country town uh, southwest of Jerusalem to move out into the capital cities and to speak to them clearly what the word of God is. We saw last week that there's something behind this prophecy. It's interesting, you've moved that clock. Now I don't think that's fair. The last two Sundays, I've actually been early and that clock is staring me in the face here. Oh, okay, okay, you heard him. <laughs> that's funny having the clock right there. Okay. Um, <laughs> the um, It's a very big clock for those of you who can't see So the the, the character of God lies behind this prophecy and uh, and the character of God here that we understand is that he's a God of justice, he's a God of mercy and he's a God of faithfulness. Uh, This is why Micah has a message from God for God's people that there is punishment against injustices. Why? Because God is a God of justice. Uh, that his mercy is going to be extended to his people in the long term. So while while God is carrying on this uh, mission of uh, adjustment so that justice is uh, performed again... He's saying, but in the long term I remember the plans I have for you and so these promises are promises that he will be faithful to his plan. So really the message that Micah has for the people of God is around the character of God because God is a God of justice, of mercy and of faithfulness to what he has said he will do. Uh, But as, as always and as we were reminded in the communion service about holiness, as always, when the character of God is given to us, there's also a challenge and a call to the people of God to be like God. And so we, have to, we, we are those who are called not, not just to know that God is just and merciful and, and, and faithful, um, but we are those who are called to be like God in, in the, the process of living out life as his people. And so uh, Micah gives to us as God's people a call that can't be missed. And that's the call to be like him in his justice and in his mercy and in his faithfulness. So the key verse is the verse that has been uh, made popular, if you like, uh, throughout all of Micah, Micah 6 8, uh, through uh, the, the movement, the Micah Challenge. And it's a very good movement and has done some, uh, some terrific work around the world. Um, Micah 6, 8 uh, was read to us by Garth this morning and it reminds us that this is what God requires. It's not an added extra. Uh, You want to know what God requires? What is God's will for your life? Well, here it is, (laughs) given to us in black and white. What God requires of his people is nothing short of what he requires of himself and that is justice and mercy and mercy. And faithfulness. But it's important to see this verse, Micah 6, 8, in context. Uh, the people of God, and, and the context, by the way, was, was read by Garth in verses 1 to 8. The people of God are hearing God's words of punishment uh, because God is saying through the prophet Micah, this is what I'm going to do because I see people being ripped off and it's bad news. Justice is for sale. Justice shouldn't be for sale. It's not justice if it's for sale. <laughs> Justice has to be freely given. And, uh, and, and, and you, can, you can get a good verdict in court if you've got enough money. This is just not right, he says. And so uh, the, the, the people are hearing God's words of punishment, uh, his, his feelings of incredulousness. How is this happening? What have I done that's caused you to be like this? He says in, in the early chapters, in verses of chapter 6. Similar to Isaiah uh where he comes, and he says, Let's reason together. What where did I go wrong? You know, I've nurtured you as my children. Where did I go wrong? God says. And um and the people are are hearing this and, and then uh he, he calls for them to plead their case. Come before me, come before me and plead your case. Uh, tell tell me what makes it possible for you to act like this. Why do you think this is right? Sounds like a parent with a child, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, where did I go wrong? <laughs> what makes you think Uh, that you can act like this. How can you justify this? This is what God is saying to his people. So they come up with some great ideas. Their response is, oh, what we need to do is become more religious, more religious by offering perfect sacrifices, not nearly perfect ones but looking for the perfect sacrifice or if you like, if we can't do that, we'll offer lots lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of sacrifices. This is all in these verses. I'm paraphrasing them, but that's what they're saying in these verses. We'll offer a lot of sacrifices. Or, if that doesn't, uh, doesn't wash really well, we'll offer really costly sacrifices. And they dare to suggest before God the whole concept of, of child sacrifice, which God has said is an abomination to him. This just shouldn't happen amongst my people. But this is the lengths that they're going to. So they're saying, oh, what we need to do is become more religious, more perfect, in our religion and God says he's not interested in more religion I'm not interested in that sort of stuff that doesn't do any good what I'm really interested in is what is good now that's a word that's lost its impact today isn't it you know what is good um, I just had my uh, performance review my annual performance review for how I'm doing as director of Sophia Think Tank from the boss of Bible Society and uh, and and uh that the line down the middle is good, and above good is uh something other else, and then there's something other else, but good is sort of you know what what is expected of you and uh, and and it's lost its impact because good is what God said about uh, the creation that this is good, this is good, this is good, and then he comes to humanity and says and this is very good well. What God is requiring of us as his people is what he considers to be good. Let's start with faithfulness, the third one down. Walking humbly with our God. Faithfulness expressed as a humble walking with your God is really the context or the, if you like, the, it gives the ability to live out the other two, uh, the, the justice and the mercy. It's very hard to be true to the first two if we're not coming from a position of humility. Walking with your God is a relational statement, isn't it? It gives the idea of an ongoing journey, that's the idea of walking and with the God that you know, this is your God, this is no surprise to you, this is the God that you know. He has told you what is good. You know what is good. This is your God. When you sit down and consider how God is, you know that this is what he's all about. He is just. He is merciful. And it requires humility to do this because arrogance will cause you to be too self-absorbed. It will cause you to be too self-reliant. Arrogance will cause you to not even see the need around you, let alone give of yourself for the need around you. And so it requires uh, humility uh, to walk humbly with God and walking humbly with God produces humility uh, which is necessary for doing what is good and approved by God. The co-founder of the Centre for Public Christianity in uh, in Sydney, John Dixon, uh, his latest book is on humility, it's a book called Humilitas and he states that humility is a lost key to life Love and leadership. It was an important character trait for the greats of history, but it seems to have been lost today. A lost key to life, to love, and to leadership. He goes on, he says, developing humility can transform your personal relationships and professional dealings. There's a whole lot of studies in both psychology and sociology that agree with Dixon on this that humility is necessary for healthy relationships and for excellent leadership humility is a required characteristic and of course the bible agrees with that uh, just one example of a passage is philippians 2 uh, chapters uh, verses 1 to 5 where uh, where it says of jesus uh, that he uh, was uh, took on humility But chapter 2 of Philippians starts off with this. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if there's any comfort from his love, if there's any fellowship with the Spirit, if there's any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete, Paul says, by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus and then he goes on and describes about the humility that Christ had in becoming man and going to to the cross. And so Paul is saying you need to clothe yourself with humility as Christ did and this will result in such things as unity and a lack of selfish ambition and a lack of vain conceit and in an other centeredness, being centred on other people around you rather than a self centeredness. And so, back to Micah, Micah says that God declares humility to be good and it's required of God's people. We are called to be a humble people. What about justice? God requires that you be just, that you do justice. Justice is all about seeking what is right. But justice in the Bible... Seeking what is right is an expression of our other centeredness rather than self centeredness. To do justice, as Micah calls us to, well, it's a call to action, isn't it? It's not, not just a call to tut tutting and, and naysaying and aren't things terrible sort of thing around the coffee cup. Uh, but it's a call to action, to do justice, to be involved in doing justice. But it's not about seeking justice for myself. It's about seeking justice for other people. It's an expression of our other-centeredness. And that's one of the reasons why you have to have a position of humility to be able to do this. It's not about making sure my rights are met. It's about being concerned about other people's rights and giving of ourselves for other people around us. And doing justice is carried out in at least two ways. The first is a call to us to make sure that we ourselves are treating others justly in all of our relationships. That we are people who are doing justice in our families, in our workplace, in our communities, in our churches. That we are not those who are acting unjustly ourselves but there were examples of justice. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 15, uh, verses 7 to 8. Fascinating passage, this one. This is given to uh, the children of Israel as God is telling them how to set up their cities. Remember, they've been wandering around in the desert for so long and they're about to be urbanised. They're about to go into the cities and to build cities. And Deuteronomy is a book that says, this is what I want my cities to be like. A fantastic book when it's read with, uh, within that framework and, uh, and in chapter uh, 15 verse 7 he says if there's a poor person among you uh, in any of the towns of the land that the Lord God is giving you do not be hard hearted or tight fisted towards your poor brother rather be open handed and freely lend him whatever he needs so in other words it's saying if when you get into the cities and you find out there's poor people amongst you Uh, Make sure that you're open towards them. Make sure that you act justly towards them, generously towards them. Don't be a source of injustice towards the poor people around you. And then he says, this will result, we're backing up in the passage, still Deuteronomy 15 but verse 4, however there should be no poor among you for in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance he will richly bless you. If only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I'm giving you today that's interesting isn't it you see God is saying on the one hand there should be no poor people among you because there's enough to go around if you simply live the way that I'm telling you to live and we can come back to Micah there if you act justly and, 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 uh, and, and love mercy and, and uh, walk humbly there won't be any poor among you <laughs> and this is what God's vision for the city is we think of uh, the early church. remember in Acts chapter two, and there were no needy people among them. This happened <laughs> in the community of faith in Acts chapter two, after Pentecost. It actually happened. There was a community of faith as a microcosm of what God wants society to be that experienced no needy people among them. Because we know from from Acts, in those early chapters, that people who had enough were giving everything else away. Uh, there were no 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 needy people amongst them because everybody was sharing with one another. It didn't last for long. <laughs> but there was there was a, a microcosm, a, a a glimpse, a snapshot, if you like, of the kingdom at work amongst the people of God. And God is here saying uh, to his people as they're going in to build these cities, he says you know what, there's no need for any poverty in the cities because there's enough to go around and I uh, am, am, am giving you instructions on how to live to make sure that there is no need among you. But then he goes on, he says, but if there's a poor person among you, and in fact it gets worse than that down in verse 11, he says, there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your brothers and towards the poor and needy in your land. So you see, there's, there's if you like, the, the dream. God says, you know, there's no need for poverty because there's enough to go around. But the reality is, I know you, <laughs> I know how you live and there will always be poor people in the land. And so what I'm calling you to do and to be is make sure that you act justly towards the poor who are around you. Fighting against injustices starts with me making sure that I am treating other people justly. But it also means sometimes having a role of advocacy on the part of others. Fighting against injustices as, as, as I have opportunity Especially for the vulnerable and the marginalised in our society, and this is what is called social justice. And so I do that uh, in, in in ministry, in if you like social welfare. Matthew 25. I won't take the time to read the verses because that clock's telling me lies. Um, but uh, uh, in, in Matthew 25, it goes through. Jesus says, um, you know, when, when you when you did this for uh, the naked and the hungry, you did it for me. So that's, that's the idea of giving of ourselves and our resources to others who are in need, the idea, if you like, of social welfare. Uh, but there's also political action and that's one of the things that I think uh, for, for us as Christians, for us as evangelicals, uh, continues to be a great challenge for us to get a grip of that and how, how do we do that? Are we really supposed to be politically involved and so forth? And I'll come on to that a little bit more uh, next week. But I I think of a verse like Jeremiah 5.28 that says, um, I'll start at verse 27, Like cages full of birds, their houses are full of deceit. They've become rich and powerful and have grown fat and sleek. Their evil deeds have no limit. They do not plead the case of the fatherless to win it. They do not defend the rights of the poor. Should I punish them for this, declares the Lord? So, sorry, should I not punish them for this, declares or Should I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? It seems to me from verses like this, and I've just snatched this one out, there are other verses like it, that we as God's people are called to advocate, to plead the case of those who are struggling at the moment, to take action, and I guess we call it political action, but we are called to an advocacy approach, to change society on behalf of of the vulnerable to be involved as we have opportunity to do that other passages would be like Jeremiah 29 and Acts 15 even Acts 15 in a New Testament context where you've got Paul standing up and advocating on behalf of the Gentiles saying we must allow the Gentiles in we must not lay down all these Jewish laws for them he's advocating on the part of a group of people who were vulnerable at that particular time in fact made the whole church vulnerable really Anyway, that's another story. The, the, the idea here is that as we become people who are fighting for justice, number one, make sure you're not a source of injustice. Make sure you're treating people justly. That's the first thing the Bible teaches. And secondly, as you have opportunity, speak up on behalf of those in your society who are marginalised and vulnerable. And some people are in a position, they hold positions uh, where they were able to take some action on behalf of the poor. I experienced this when I was a councillor in the city of Melbourne. I experienced it over and over again, but mainly because of my portfolio of community services. I was able to, to, uh, to, to initiate action on behalf of people who are marginalised in the city. And some of you are in positions that hold that, and that is a calling on your life. And so in Micah, God is calling for a return to both of these expressions of justice as we live out uh, life as his people. There are over 2100 references to poverty and justice in the Bible. Over 2100 references. That, that's, that's pretty good airtime, isn't it? In fact I think it's probably more than most other uh, topics. I don't think God addresses other topics as much as he addresses the whole issue of poverty and justice. Over 2100 references. God is passionate about justice. And he calls his people to be like him. We need to allow the things that burn his heart to burn our hearts as well because God calls this good. Thirdly, about mercy. It's a call to be merciful. Mercy is all about how we are to treat others and it's another expression of humility. It's a call beyond refraining from injustice. Can you see that? I might make a decision to uh, make sure that I don't treat other people unjustly but then God says also treat them with mercy (laughs) move beyond making my mind up that I won't be unjust he says be merciful the idea of mercy is showing kindness and favour that is undeserved that is unearned and is unconditional that's the idea of mercy kindness that is unearned and undeserved and unconditional it's a call to love as we treat people with kindness to random acts of kindness the story of the good samaritan in luke 15 you know it so well it's a great example of the call to mercy being lived out and the bible is filled with examples of the mercy mandate the more mercy is expressed and experienced the less we'll have to fight for justice <laughs> See if we all lived merciful lives uh, there would be less of a call to fight for injustice because it would deal with it. God declares that he requires his people to be merciful because he is merciful. So how do we see all this in contemporary society? How do we see uh, this God's agenda worked out today? Justice, mercy and humility. How is this applied as the rubber hits the road tomorrow morning? You know, the MICA Challenge, for those of you who know it, is usually applied to ending world poverty and to the Millennium Development Goals. And this is very good. In no way am I suggesting that's not a good thing. I I think the MICA Challenge has done a fantastic job in addressing those issues. But too often we see that context, world poverty, poverty in third world countries, and Millennium development goals of, of, of the really needy uh, countries in, in, in our uh, region even as the only context that we need to care about such things. Uh, too, too often we, we see mission as overseas and we forget, it, and it certainly is, but we forget about mission on our doorstep. And so the question I want to leave you with today is how does it apply tomorrow morning in your world? As you get up and you make breakfast and you go off to work and you're involved in the neighbourhood and so forth. How does God's requirement of us to be good by uh, the, through these three things? How does that affect us? Uh, humility enabling the life of other-centeredness expressed in mercy and justice. Mercy. You know, most people in your world are not experiencing the kindness that is encapsulated in the idea of mercy. They're not benefiting from acts of kindness. They're not benefiting from acts of other-centeredness in their relationships at home, in their relationships at work. They're not experiencing these things. And so relationships are breaking down. Relational breakdown, isolation, a sense of meaninglessness is oftentimes the result of not experiencing acts of kindness. Recent research in Australia asked people to identify what made them experience deep hurt the most. And the number one response from all ages was breakdown of relationships. And consequently people in your world are looking for ways to cope with the pain and to move on in life. To experience merciful kindness can transform their worlds. That's why God calls us to mercy. People in your world often feel like no one is being kind to them. They may feel quite undeserving of any kindness, but they long for it. They will want to air how they're feeling about that and will want to do it in a safe place. And the church, therefore, must be a safe place for people to vent and to then receive the kindness of love and acceptance and forgiveness. and justice. Well, people in your world often come with stories of injustice. Sometimes these stories are about injustice from the hand of the government or from the police or from the church or from the workplace or the family or from friends and sometimes, oftentimes these stories are true. The people in your world will need to air these grievances in a safe place and be guided in what action they can take to begin to address the injustices in a context of love and acceptance and a commitment to see justice done. At times they'll require their basic needs being met and at times they'll need you to advocate on their behalf and at times they will need to be empowered to take a stand themselves. Sometimes you'll find yourself in a position where you have the power to correct the injustice yourself and as people of justice we are called to such ministry because God says this is good. This is good. It's no wonder, is it, that God wants to see us transformed into people who love justice and mercy and humble faithfulness because this is truly what our world longs for. This is where personal and social transformation walk together. As God works within you and me to change us into people of justice, mercy and humble faithfulness. He requires us to live out those commitments in our everyday lives seeking to change our worlds. Why? Because God says this is good and he requires it of us. And so what I would like to leave you with out of the book of Micah is the Micah challenge. But the Micah challenge not only applied to overseas need as important as that is. But applied to your lives tomorrow morning. Ah, oh, why wait for tomorrow morning? Let's take this afternoon in as well to live lives of justice and mercy and humble faithfulness. Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you so much that you are a God who loves us so much, and that you're a God who is just and merciful and faithful to all who you are, all of what you are. And thank you for uh, challenging us to a very high calling and I pray that you would help each one of us no matter um, what the the context that we're we're moving into as we leave this place, that you would help us to be committed to be like you in these areas. We can't do it without your help and so we, we recognise that, we acknowledge that but we also ask you for help to be these people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.